The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, you can open them to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 8 through 11. And uh, so, yes, I do look forward to being with you guys on Christmas Eve, gathering together, worshiping the Lord, and being together as a family. It'll be very special on Thursday. Um, So let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Gracious Heavenly Father, may your spirit speak to our hearts. I thank you for everyone that is here. Lord, we thank you for those who are watching, uh, those who are listening by radio. Uh, Father, may your word, the message of the birth of the Savior of the world, Lord, I pray that that will have an echo around the world this year, this Christmas. May the good news be sounded loud and clear. May the trumpet blast of the shofar ring loud and clear that a Savior has been given, a Savior has been born, a Savior has come, and a Savior is King of kings and Lord of lords. So may we be blessed tonight. In Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray. And everyone said, amen. 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 Okay, so Luke chapter 2, we won't read the the first few verses. Uh, There was, you know, the the Roman government, and they they caused a, a taxation to be upon all the people. And so a little family, Joseph and Mary, who lived in the northern part of Israel now, had to go to their genealogical home of origin. And as it turns out that we find both Joseph and Mary's family lines eventually go back to none other than King David. So they've got to leave Nazareth, which is near the Sea of Galilee in the north of Israel, travel about 90 miles. And by the way, poor Mary is is expecting a child and ready to deliver. (laughs) And any of you ladies that have ever been pregnant, can you imagine a 90 mile journey on a camel or a donkey, or whatever it was coming down. I'm sure it was extremely uncomfortable. Uh, And yet they had to go there to Bethlehem, the little town and village where David himself was born. And that's where their ancestor was, and they had to go register, and you know they were part of the genealogy and pay their taxes. But there was a prophecy that God had established 500 years earlier through the prophet Micah that the Messiah would be born not in Nazareth, not in Galilee, but in the little town of Bethlehem, the very town of David himself. And so it's what's interesting to me, and listen, God took the Caesar of Rome, who made a decision for governmental and financial and taxation reasons, but he didn't realize he wasn't actually in charge. God is the one that is in charge. And I want to say tonight in the midst of a lot of, you know, continuing political upheaval, thank God the politicians of our planet are not the ones who are really in charge. God is in charge. God is on the throne. God does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and he uses them to accomplish his purposes. And so here we are that God used Caesar in Rome to create a movement that would now bring 
Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem to be born. So we're going to pick up the story in verse 8. It says, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. So here's what I want to share with you the first Little life lesson. The glory of God reappears to shepherds there in verses 8 and 9. And I love this story. And this part of this story, we're going to really zero in and focus on the humble, poor shepherds who are watching their flock by night. Shepherds were 2,000 years ago. I mean, we know the history of Israel. Moses was a shepherd. Obviously, King David was a shepherd. But by the time of Jesus... And the, the growth of time and culture and, and Israel having been under Rome and influenced a lot by Greek culture, shepherds by Jesus' time were a, an occupation that was despised by very religious uh, good people of the day. And, and the reason was that, you know, I, uh, shepherds, it's not a, you know, a Monday through Friday or through Saturday kind of a deal. It is seven days a week, day and night. Seven days a week, you have to be with your flock. And as a result, you know, in that you have to spend all of your time and effort uh, on those sheep, you're not able to do the wash, hand washings and the regulations and the other uh, rules that would go along with being a religious Jew. So they were kind of despised and looked down upon. They don't really do anything, and plus they're with the animals, and they're outside all the time, and they're kind of in a messy, dirty, filthy area. So they were looked down upon. But in all likelihood, I believe these shepherds were special because they were, as I mentioned last week, Bethlehem is only about five miles away from Jerusalem. And you know that Jerusalem in the temple had to have sacrifices they had to have lambs without spot or blemish every day in the morning and in the afternoon, all every day, all through the year, year after year, decade after decade. And there were Jewish people would come for the feasts of the Lord seven times through the seven feasts. And so there were a lot of sheep that were needed. So Bethlehem was a very convenient place nearby that they could raise sheep that would be used for sacrifice. And I want to say to you, how amazing, how appropriate that Jesus, the Lamb of God, was born in a city where there were shepherds, probably watching over sheep that would ultimately be used to sacrifice their lives and have their bodies broken and their blood shed for the forgiveness of the sins of Israel under the Old Testament. And now we have the Lamb of God born in Bethlehem who will grow up to offer his life as a spotless lamb, the spotless sacrifice for the sins of the world. So we read that they were in the same country, shepherds, you know, living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Suddenly the field was ablaze with light and 
The author here, Luke, calls it the glory of the Lord, which suggests that these shepherds out at night under the stars were now being bathed in the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory is the light of another world. It was the light that signaled another dimension, a heavenly supernatural dimension of the divine presence of God. Because throughout the scriptures, God's glorious presence, whenever God manifests his presence, because God is everywhere. God is here. He's with us. Uh, and, but not everywhere is God seen ever since the fall of Adam and Eve. So on occasion, God lets himself be seen or manifest whenever in the scriptures God allows himself to be seen or to be manifest, it's always in brilliant, dazzling, supernatural light. Now, the glory of God was originally in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve literally walked, not merely by the light of the sun that God had created in the earth, but they walked in the visible, manifest presence of God and the glory of God. But then sin came and we were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And so thus began the story of God wanting to bring that glory back to mankind. We see the glory of God manifest, first of all, to Moses in the wilderness and then into the tabernacle and later into the temple. But a long story short in the Old Testament, after centuries and centuries of sin and rebellion, the glory of God left the temple that it had once come in the midst of. The ancient Hebrew prophet Ezekiel describes how the glory slowly began to ascend and to move eastward from the Holy of Holies, then to the Eastern Gate, finally across the Kidron Valley and hovered over on the east side, the Mount of Olives, each step along the way as if God's heart was being broken, that he was no longer loved or worshipped. There was no intimacy with the people. They, they didn't even know he was there. And they didn't notice when he backed away and left. And finally, it says, after three days of waiting over the Mount of Olives, the glory of God literally ascended back into heaven from whence it had come and disappeared. And there was a time of centuries of darkness. There's that whole period from the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, until the New Testament where there was no glory. There was no prophets. God had not even spoken to his people for several hundred years. And that glory, though, God said, I, the day will come when I will forgive you of your sins. And the day will come that I love you so much and I miss you so much. I will come back. I'm not going to let you go. God never gives up on us. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. He never, and I mean, even when he backs away from a prodigal son or daughter, his heart is broken and he yearns and cannot wait to reappear. And I want to say that here in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that Shekinah glory that had been gone for several hundreds of years reappeared that night in the sky through the angels. And the glory of the Lord was there. And I believe that that same Shekinah glory will appear again at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30 
says this, and if you want to read it with me, you can. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. When you see glory, that means light. The Bible says God is light. In him there is no darkness whatsoever. And God's desire is you know him and walk with him and learn of him and draw near to him and begin to have an intimate relationship with him. And by the way, then you begin to experience his glorious presence, his burning love and joy and peace and all the fruit of the spirit. It's literally like heaven starts invading you the closer to the Lord you get and the more light that comes into your life. Can I hear an amen on that? Hallelujah. Well, I want to just say this. God's greatest gift came in a very surprising package. You know, at Christmas, do you ever try to guess uh, what is under the tree? Or how many of you have families where, like my parents, they used to hide things uh, or they would disguise things? Look, I... For those who don't know, so I was born, and then 10 months later, my mom had twins, identical twins. They're my brothers, but they're only 10 months younger than me. But I, I told them, look, that 10 months counts. I'm the oldest brother. <laughs> and we fought together and wrestled together and all the rest of it. And so we were almost like triplets. And this one year, I'm, I'm going to tell a story, and I hope I don't get in trouble for this, but it was, you know, when, when I grew up, at that time, the three boys, we wanted a BB gun. And my parents said, absolutely not. There is no way that you're going to get a BB gun. So, you know, we're crying and we're, you know, pouting and we're wanting and this and that. We won't do this. We'll be safe and blah, blah, blah. So finally, there are these three packages that are about that wide and, you know, by this. And then the sound of, if you went like this, little BBs going... And then, ring. so we go, you got us. We know what this, you got us. And my mom goes, so that's what you think it is? We're like, well, isn't it? And she goes, I don't know. I could be deceiving you. It could be something else. You know, your dad would never let you have a BB gun. And so we're like, oh my gosh. So we're, we're trying to, at least when we, Christmas, we'll be able to hold little BBs and pretend, you know. And guess what happened on Christmas morning? We opened it up, they were BB guns. <laughs> you know, don't clap and don't encourage it and don't buy them for your children. They're bad and you'll shoot your eye out. But that's another story. But my point is, you know, you try to maybe hide, make it a big package for a little gift. By the way, special things sometimes, we, we think sometimes to be special has got to be big. But some of the most beautiful, precious gifts come in surprisingly small and humble packages. It does not take a very big box to put a diamond ring in. Can I hear an amen on that, my sisters? <laughs> so here is Jesus, the greatest, most precious gift in the universe that God now gives to not just Israel, but to the world. And yet, look at the package that it came in. A poor family in a small, humble little town. It was not a very impressive package on the outside. Jesus had a very humble lifestyle 
And by the way, he lived 90% of his life in Nazareth, totally unknown, in the home of a carpenter. His ministry was among very, very humble folk. And even when he started his ministry, it wasn't with any big names from Jerusalem, but half of them were fishermen from the Sea of Galilee. But I want to say to you, in that small, humble package of that little baby born in the manger was the greatest gift in the universe. Can I hear an amen on that? And that G, this is the incarnation. It's a mystery. Great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ, the Savior, came with a human body, with a mind, with a soul. He not only was conceived, he was born and delivered. And then he was a baby. And then he was a little adolescent. And he grew mentally, emotionally, physically, Learned to be a carpenter just like his dad. As I said, 90% of his life in a very common, humble way in Nazareth with all the limitations of a human being. But I want to say that that gift is so great because it means his love and his sympathy and his understanding for you are astounding. If I could put it like this, Jesus has, you have an instrument. Your body is an instrument and Jesus' body was the instrument that could fully manifest the glory and the presence of God. Amen. Now, there's something very interesting. We've got a, a piano back here. Now, if we had a, you know, so this is an electric piano. If we had a piano, you know, with the strings, and we had a, another piano over here. Two pianos side by side. If I walked up to the piano over here, and I sat down, and I played the middle C, did you know that the other pianos, middle C, would begin to vibrate gently and begin to respond to the C on the other piano? It's called sympathetic resonance. The same note. So here's what I want to say to you. Whatever is in your instrument, whatever is in your body, whatever is affecting your soul or your mind or your emotions or even anything physically, I want you to know that up in heaven, there is a sympathetic resonance. Jesus personally feels everything you are feeling, everything you're experiencing, everything you're going through. We have an instrument in heaven that feels it and he is moved with love and with compassion. And he's praying for us, interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So I want to say to you tonight, I know that all of you here, all of you watching online, all of us around the world are living under incredible pressure and I just want you to know everything that we're going through and everything that we're feeling is affecting and touching with perfect sympathetic resonance our high priest who is seated at the right hand of the father and he 
loves you and is praying and talking to the Father on your behalf. And here's what the New Testament says. Cast all of your cares upon him, for he careth for you. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, let's go on and finish by reading verses 10 and 11. So again, verse 8, Now there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel who showed up said to them, First thing, do not be afraid. Everybody look up here. Say that out loud with me. Do not be afraid. That is a message from heaven to us here on earth. Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. Everybody say Savior. Who is Christ the Lord. And we'll stop there right now. But the angels declared some very good news that night. Number one, do not be afraid. And number two, a Savior has finally arrived. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! How many would you would agree with me? We need a Savior today. The world needs a Savior. We need a heavenly Savior, a divine Savior. And so here is the message of the angels in the presence of God to all God's children here today. Do not be afraid. I am with you. I see you. I hear you. And the shepherds did not need to be afraid. Here's why. Because good news is on its way. I want you to notice the angel's message was not one of judgment. Oh, you better watch out. The Messiah is coming down from heaven and he's ready to with fire to judge you. But his message was rather this. The father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. First John chapter four, verse 14. And I want to say to you tonight that this is the theme of the angels. There has been for you born a savior. The words of the angel spoke not only for the shepherds who were watching that night, but they were for all of us. They're wonderful words. They're beautiful words, glorious words, for they promised a savior. Again, look with me in verse 10. And then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So I want you to know that uh, because of Christ's incarnation, he sympathizes with everything that we're going through. He perfectly, he went through everything humanly that you and I have been through. He was tempted with all the temptations we go through and yet he without sin. But as a human being, as a man, he conquered sin, he defeated temptation, and he made the devil flee and run away from him. In the end. And in the end, he took our sins, our failures, our brokenness upon his own body, and said, I'll take it. 
I'll take it all. All who will believe in me. Put all of your pain, all of your brokenness, all of your sin, all of your loneliness, your emptiness, your darkness, your fear, your anxiety. Bring it all on me. For my shoulders are broad and I can bear it and I will pay for it. And that's why he died in your place and in mine. He is our substitute. He is our lamb. He is our sacrifice. But because he was pure and holy, death couldn't hold on to him. He broke its grip. And the devil couldn't hold on to him. And on the third day, he rose. And having broken those chains, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that lives and believes in me, though we were dead, yet shall he live. He that lives and believes in me shall never die. He died once and for all, 2,000 years ago. And he rules and he reigns tonight as the savior of the world. He is the savior and hope of the whole world. Hebrews 7, verses 24 and 25, you can read it with me, says, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Hallelujah. That is the heart of the gospel message. That's the message we must proclaim to the world for such a time as this. We are all sinners. The whole world is sinful and broken and lost, but we have a savior, a deliverer. God revealed himself as a savior to Israel in two ways. And part of the reason was the whole story of the Exodus in the Old Testament is God was, he was like doing a play that would be a historical drama giving us a window or a picture into how beautiful our deliverance would be. He came to Israel and he said, I've heard your pain, I've heard your cries, and I have come down to deliver you from 400 years of slavery and bondage. He goes, I'm going to deliver you with a powerful, mighty hand. And when Pharaoh is done, he will not be able to resist my will. I'm going to give him 10 times to repent. But I'll tell you this, if he doesn't, and even God knew that he wouldn't, he says when it gets to number 10, it'll be broken and he will let you go. So he was showing us what a mighty savior, what a mighty deliverer he is. And then after he delivered them from slavery, and gave them a new identity. You're my sons, my daughters, you're my children, you're my special people, you're the apple of my eye. Then he showed them a second way that he is their savior. He said, watch this. I can not only deliver you from 400 years of slavery, I'm gonna take two and a half million of you, put you in the desert, in the wilderness, (laughs) and I will provide for you supernaturally, without stores, without groceries, I'll bring, if I need to, I can bring bread from heaven. I can bring water out of a rock. I can bring you all the way through. And even for 40 years, your sandals will not wear out. How's that? So God is saying, look, any people that love me and call on me and will let me save them, there's nothing that can come to hurt nor harm you as you trust in me. So I want to say hallelujah. We have... A savior, we have salvation, 
We have a sign. We have tidings of great joy indeed. Tidings for all the people of the world. And there's only one thing left to do. Last week we talked about how wise men came from the Far East and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now we're talking about shepherds who came from their fields and bowed down and worshipped him even as he was just a baby before he had done any miracles. And now we've seen angels drawn from heaven down to the earth to point to him and say, worship him for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.